tuning into this episode of Are You Spiritual? My name is Jasmine Milani, and I will be your guide. I'm really excited for this episode. It has been a long time in the making. And if you are a regular listener, you probably realize I say that a lot. As I was sitting down to record this, I thought, you know, season two is all about dreams coming true uh, for Are You Spiritual? And this is definitely a dream come true. I had had an idea to do some spiritual biographies, which I'm going to be calling spirographies. And for the first one, I'd like to share someone with you who is so dear to my heart. I never met her, um, but she is definitely my spiritual godmother, my cool aunt, and someone whose voice in my head has been really a guiding light and a calming force. And her name is Shakti Gawain. Uh, She was born in 1948, and she passed away in 2018, Um, but during that time, she did some incredible things. Uh, After graduating from uh, the University of California with a degree in dance, she uh, went on to basically travel the world, and this would have been in the late 60s, early 70s. She came back, she uh, was a workshop junkie, and She co-founded New World Library and went on to write some of the biggest books in the New Age spiritual movement, as well as be a part of, um, you know, publishing great books. And she went on to become an inspirational speaker and a coach and a guide. And she just seems like the coolest, the coolest, period. So when I decided to do this, I, there's a lot of information about her and you can see Shakti. Um, she has a new website that's phenomenal, shaktigawain.com. And there's lots of um, available resources. You can buy her books, you can get her tapes, you can find her on YouTube. So she's very accessible, but I wanted to kind of warm her up to share her personality, to create a sort of this vibrant um, experience of her because she is so... Uh, because she is so vibrant and her teachings are so relevant to this day and so simple. And while there are phenomenal teachers today, I really don't think that they can top some of uh, what she shared. So while she wrote a, a lot of books, some of my favorites, well, my number one favorite spiritual book is Creative Visualization, Use the Power of Your Imagination to Create What You Want in Your Life. And she wrote and published that in 1978. What happened was Oprah, (laughs) and in, uh, I believe it was 1985, Oprah had her on with creative visualizations and then re-aired her on Christmas Day. And that really shot off creative visualization even more than it had already um, been. And that's about when it came into my existence and my life. 
So I reached out to New World Library and just asked if anybody would be interested in being interviewed or talked with for this episode to just give a full spectrum view of Shakti. And boy, did I get the goods, guys. (laughs) So I'm doing this a little bit backwards to how I recorded it. And today I'm going to share with you... um, At the very beginning, there'll be a little snippet of an interview that Kim Corbin, who's the social media manager of New World Library, did with Shakti um, before she passed. I wanted you to hear her voice and her laugh and her warmth. And so I recorded that interview first, um, which I did with Kim. And um, then she said, well, I can introduce you to Mark Allen, who is still the co-founder and publisher at New World Library. And he could tell you even more about Shakti. And they had been partners at the time that they co-founded New World Library and stayed friends um, till the end of her days. So that will be following in this episode. And Mark is, I mean, definitely, first of all, he's an accomplished musician um, and an author in his own right. The Magical Path is a great book. He's a composer. He's a publisher, a typesetter. He's not just a Renaissance man, but he's, by his own admission, a constant seeker. And I think it's so important to understand that you can have abundance and still be seeking spiritual knowledge. He speaks so eloquently about his time with Shakti and also his own spiritual journey and some of the things that have occurred living on the forefront of the New Age movement in San Francisco. Really, I've outdone myself. And I think that's why it kind of took me a while to figure out how to piece this all together. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to read a little bit from Creative Visualization, and then you'll hear a snippet of the interview that Kim did with Shakti, and that talks about her time founding New World Library. And then you'll hear my interview and chat. It's really a chat. I'm not a great interviewer. Let's just release that. Okay. (laughs) But we have a wonderful conversation and I loved it. And I hope you do too. And then next week I'll be releasing my interview with Kim and she is an incredible person as well, who has her own story of skipping to joy. And it is really good. So thank you so much for listening. And um, I want to share with you just this one passage. I'm going to probably demonstrate one of her techniques. I'll either do that individually or at the end of the Kim episode, but I wanted to read from you just something that Shakti says in creative visualization about discovering your higher purpose. Discovering your higher purpose. A basic need of all human beings is to make a positive contribution to the world and to our fellow beings, as well as to improve and enjoy our personal lives. We all have a great deal to offer the world and to each other, each in our own special and unique way. To a great degree, our own personal sense of well-being is a function of how much we are expressing this. We each have a significant contribution to make in this lifetime. It may involve many things, or it may be something very simple. I call this contribution our higher purpose. It always involves being yourself totally, completely, and naturally and doing something or many things that you genuinely love to do and that you have a natural gift for. We all know in our hearts what our higher purpose is, but we often do not consciously acknowledge it, even to ourselves. 
In fact, most people seem to go to great lengths to hide it from themselves and from the world. They fear and seek to avoid the power, responsibility, and light that comes with acknowledging and expressing their true purpose in life. As you use creative visualization, you will find that you become more and more attuned to and aware of your higher purpose. Notice the elements that tend to recur in your dreams, goals, and fantasies, the particular qualities that are there in the things you find yourself doing and creating. These are important clues to the underlying meaning and purpose of your life. In using creative visualizations, you will find that your ability to manifest will work to the degree that you are in alignment with your higher purpose. If you try to manifest something and it doesn't seem to work, it may not be appropriate to the underlying pattern and meaning of your life. Be patient and keep tuning into your inner guidance. In retrospect, you will see that everything is unfolding perfectly. This is a time of great transformation on our planet. We all have a part to play just by being willing to be our true, magnificent selves. Thank you, Shakti. I hope you love this episode. See you on the next one. So it's been 35 years since you and Mark Allen first started New World Library. Did you ever imagine when you first started where this path would lead? You know, I really didn't. I had no idea. I was... I was in my 20s. I graduated from college with a degree in dance, which wasn't going to really do much for me because I wasn't good enough to be a professional dancer. Um, I'd done some traveling. I actually ended up traveling all around the world on kind of a shoestring, as a lot of us were doing in those days. And when I got back to my home in the San Francisco Bay Area, I realized that I was on some kind of path that had to do with me learning and developing myself as a person and discovering what my gifts are to share with people in the world. And I just was really following my intuitive feeling. Although at that time, I didn't even know that much about intuition, but that's what I was doing. And um, one day I went to a workshop because of course I was reading all the metaphysical books and going to the workshops and in, in a workshop on creative visualization I, some, the teacher had us write out, you know, our expectations or our visions for next year and then for five years and then for 10 years. And I remember thinking, how do I know what I'm going to be doing in five years? My gosh, that seems like forever, you know? Well, when I did the exercise, I actually wrote each thing for each of those years. I was shocked and amazed because this entire vision came to me that I really had no idea about. Uh, writing books, leading workshops, traveling around the world, and all those things. And, and that's, what, that's what has happened. That's what came about. So it was really meant to be. It was really meant to be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then Creative Visualization, which is an international bestseller now, was the book that started it all. So how did Creative Visualization come to be? Well, at that point, my friend Mark Allen and I were leading workshops. And on, you know, imparting to people the things that we were learning that we were excited about, one of them being the, the technique of creative visualization, which is basically just being able to imagine something that you really want to such a real state that you actually help bring it into being in your life. And I was using that in my life for everything, you know, need a new apartment. Okay, I'll visualize that. Um, want to feel 
greater self-esteem. Okay, I can visualize that. They're just you can use it for so many things. So I was all excited about that and what I, I wanted to share it with people. And I was leading workshops at that point. So I um, I decided I would write a little booklet, just a little, you know, with a few of these ideas in it that we were learning. And so I sat down and I started writing and I was really inspired and, uh, you know, really working on it for a while. And then something happened and I, I just stopped. I, I got blocked and I couldn't write anymore. And um, I realized that there was a, a part of me that was saying to me, who do you think you are? I mean, I had just begun all this work. Really, I was in just the first few years of this kind of self-discovery. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that's true. Well, who do I think I am that I would have, you know, things to impart to people that would be useful and valuable to them? So I stopped and I uh, stopped for several months. And really what's interesting is the way that what got me going again was the fact that I had actually sent out a little um, message to my people on my, on my mailing list uh, saying that I was going to have this little booklet that would be available at a certain time and they could send in $5 and I would send it to them when I got it done. So a few people sent me $5 and then I, and then I wasn't working on the book and I started to feel so guilty um, that I said, you know, I, again, I sent them word and said, uh, you know, I'll send your money back if you want. And they all basically responded, no, just keep it and send us the booklet when it's done. So I felt guilt was a perfect uh, motivator for me at this point, which just goes to show you that anything in life can motivate us because then I really felt like, okay, I've got to get this done and send this to these poor people. Um, so I did that and I did finish it and I did uh, feel good about it. And we didn't even try to do anything to, with a big publisher. We just, just sort of decided to do our own publishing. And so I did, I borrowed a thousand dollars from my mom so we could print up the books and I took them around to the bookstores in our area. In those days you could just do that, take them and put them on consignment. And the book began to sell, and gradually, gradually, as an underground book, and then for, and then just kept on for the last forty years. Now. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have one of the biggest gets of my life, maybe, that I was totally not expecting. And it just shows you that when you follow the path that's kind of being lit in front of you, magical things happen. So I was led on my path to learn about Shakti Gawain to New World Library. And that led me to Kim Corbin, who now led me to Shakti's friend and co-founder, Mark Allen. And he's an author and a president and publisher of New World Library and also a very accomplished musician. And there's tons of resources about him through his website, markallen.com. But 
what he has agreed to do <laughs> fresh from his nap is speak to me a little bit about Shakti Gawain. So welcome to Are You Spiritual, Mark? Oh, thank you, Jasmine. Thank you. <laughs> Delightful to be here. <laughs> so I told you that I was going to start while well, we were going to talk about some kind of other aspects of Shakti's life because her biography is really out there and her work is out there and her words are out there. Um, but I was just so curious about what she was like as a person and you knew her for so much of her life and your life, obviously. And you went through so many different parts of your life. And I also, as I was getting ready for this interview today, I was thinking it was such a beautiful kind of symbol of like the feminine and the masculine creating this new world library and starting this whole thing from the beginning. And I know there's probably millions of things we could talk about, but I was wondering if you could kind of talk about the beginnings of new world library and how you met Shakti. And, and also we know you gave Shakti her name, but I have never heard actually how that happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 this is just uh, a joy to me to talk about because it was an amazing time and we had an amazing relationship. And when I met her, she was 26 years old and I was 28. And we were both uh, what we'd call each other workshop junkies in Berkeley, California. She had just spent uh, a year traveling around the world, a year or even two, uh, because she'd spent almost a year in India. And before that, she was in Italy and everything. She went around the entire world. Uh, she had a total, she left with a total of $2,000 and uh, managed to get around the world. She worked some. She worked in Italy as an au pair for a while. And then... Uh, met this amazing guy named David Fairchild, and, and they traveled together in a VW van. They drove to India from, from Europe. They drove across Afghanistan. Uh, quite an adventure. She was very adventurous, that's for sure. And I, I met her in Berkeley, and I was uh, just from the beginning blown away by her by her energy, her energy. And she had a big poster of Shiva she'd gotten in India, a beautiful, one of those beautiful paintings of Shiva where his eyes are so soft and feminine and, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous face. And so she was into Shiva. And so I just started calling her Shakti because that's the Shiva's consort, Shiva's feminine side. And it fit her so well she, because she did have such energy. She, she, uh, I often said she never had an off switch. She'd wake <laughs> up in the morning. She just had this natural, amazing energy all day long. And, and she was kind of a fanatic. She would she'd learn something. <laughs> and, and, and she would admit this. She, she would learn something. And she'd want to tell all her friends. And her mother, her mother was around. She was always trying, trying to tell her mother the last things she's learned. She got her mother into yoga and... Uh, <laughs> She was uh, quite a, uh, she was sort of a, a natural preacher or just, <laughs> she would be so enthused about something. She just wanted to tell everybody she knew about it. That's all. And, <laughs> I think we all know people like that. And we need those people to kind of transmit the information and spread it around. And yeah. and And you were also seeking at that time too. You had spent like not a little bit of time 
um, studying, you know, Eastern traditions. And um, you talked about studying Tibetan Buddhism, which is like, I'm a, I'm a certified meditation teacher and it is still something that I'm unraveling just to describe Tibetan Buddhism. I, I spent three and a half years uh, full-time study at a Tibetan center in Berkeley. And uh, when I left, I find, I found, you know, I learned some things, but boy, it's very difficult to adapt Tibetan Buddhism to the West. I I felt when I left, in fact, I kept having the image of sand through my hand. I, mm. I hadn't retained anything. Before that, I had spent almost six months at a Zen center in Hawaii, the Maui Zendo. And that, I felt, really uh, was beneficial and immediately gave me all kinds of uh, it, it it changed my life, definitely. It felt like uh, that six months of meditation rewired my whole body in some way, my whole nervous system. Uh, uh, I felt I felt Zen. I highly recommend Zen for a lot of people. And I, I don't, for me, I, I can't really recommend uh, Tibetan <laughs> Buddhism. <laughs> well, Tibetan Buddhism is really esoteric. It's really about lineages. It's about ancient texts. And I'm not sure that it does translate, whereas Zen probably did rewire your brain. I mean, they've actually done studies that show that those kind of deep meditations, and you did it at a young part of your life where your brain was still probably developing. So good on you. We shouldn't go to college. We should go to Zen <laughs> Zen study. <laughs> so you meet, you've met Shakti, and, and um, you have talked about uh, your kind of dark night of the soul on your 30th birthday. And so, and that was um, when you really realized, and I thought it was really beautiful how you said in one of your interviews that you went to sleep a different person than you woke up that day, mm -hmm. that you had this big understanding and you kind of hung with it. And then also Shakti has talked about how she had done kind of the meditation that you, the five-year plan meditation. So it seems like these things kind of happened at the same time. Am I, am I kind of correct there? Do these paths overlap? Uh yeah, they kind of did. Um, we were a catalyst for each other, for sure. Uh, we ended up with an amazing partnership because, uh, yeah, the day I turned 30, I, I woke up in a state of shock knowing I wasn't a kid anymore and realizing I had no plans. I was just drifting along. I was living with Shakti. And we were just studying this, studying that, doing this and that. Uh but by the end of the day, I, I spent most of the day alone. Just I needed to be alone, pacing up and down. And then I I literally sat down and did a little exercise from a, a disastrous back to the land ex experiment. I also tried when I was 22 or something, uh, which didn't work out at all. But just one night we were sitting around a fire and this one couple said, let's play this game we play at church camp. Let's imagine five years have passed and everything has gone as well as you could imagine. What would your life look like? What is your ideal scene? And we all went around the fire and said something. We were sitting around a fire outside, I remember. And I tried when I was 30 to remember what I even said at 22. I couldn't remember a word. So obviously it had no impact in my life. But the day I was 30, then I literally put took a sheet of paper this time and put ideal scene at the top and imagine I was 35. Wow, that seems so old. I mean, that's 
middle-aged. <laughs> and uh, much to my surprise, what spilled out is I have this successful publishing company. I, I didn't know a thing about business. I'd been a spiritual seeker for years and years. And before that, a musician, an actor, <clears throat> uh, never having a thing to do with business. But there it was. I have a successful publishing company and I've written books, and I've recorded my music, and I have a beautiful home on a hill somewhere. And I had that was my ideal. And looking back, when I went to bed, I did have, uh, I, I think I was an entirely different person in some ways because I had a goal, a very clear goal. And I, I even listed 12 goals, and I started. Uh, and I rewrote them as affirmations, and I started affirming every goal. I am now creating a successful publishing company in an easy and relaxed manner, a healthy and positive way, in its own perfect time for the highest good of all. A wonderful phrase I'd gotten out of a book by Catherine Ponder, a Unity Church minister I'd read, who talked about affirmations and all. So, I yeah, I started the company on my... 30th birthday. The next day, I went down to a little local business where I knew the guy. And I said, how do you start a business? What do you, you know? And he said, oh, it's easy. You just go to Civic Center and uh, register your fictitious business name. I said, what's that? He said, well, you have to have a name, you know? And and uh, so I did it. And then, uh, you know, I was with Shakti then. So she was right there with me. And we, we, did our first little catalog, which was one legal size sheet of paper. We'd fold it twice. So it was a little brochure. And we called it uh, the the Aquarian Reunion. We 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 wanted to start <laughs> a, a nonprofit, Aquarian Reunion something. And, uh, <laughs> and I I had uh, that was a few months later, and I'd already had I'd pulled together notes from an old book and published it. And I wrote another book on astrology and published it. So we had two books. And then we also put creative visualization coming soon. <laughs> there. And uh, then we threw in everything else. We we had like six different things. I remember thinking, I have six different things and <laughs> one might work, you know. So we had the books and the music and we had uh, mini uh, posters we made and <laughs> postcards, and gypsy love charms. <laughs> Shakti um, told a great story, too, that I'm sure you can expand on, where she said she had, was working on creative visualization, but she kept wanting to give it up. But people had sent money for the yes. book, and she yes. tried to send the money back. And yes. they said, no, 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 it, just write it, the book and send us the book. Yeah. <laughs> she, had, she had like three or four orders, and it was like two years after we got the brochure out and and over and and I too I I made her try to feel guilty as possible I said Chuck, <laughs> you know it's illegal to take people's money for something and then don't you don't ship within a month and then she, she said well I wrote them and they said it's okay and <laughs> that's why yeah one of the great motivators for her to actually sit down and write the book was guilt <laughs> <laughs> whatever it takes whatever it takes and I remember when she started, it was, I'd heard a friend just talk about a therapist who worked with people, and he did what what the therapist called lowering the gradient. And for people who couldn't write, 
he would, he, or who had writer's block, he would literally have them uh, just sit in front of a typewriter. This was back pre, you know, typewriter. This is typewriter days. For one minute a day, for a week. Mm. Just sit there for one minute. That's all they had to do for a week. The second week, he had them sit in front of a typewriter and put in a sheet of paper and sit there for one minute. That was it. He's lowering the gradient. The third week, he had him sit there for a minute, put in a sheet of paper, and type at least a word. And then the fourth week, he had him type like a sentence. And by then, they were they were writing. They were writing. And uh, I I thought about that, and I went to Shakti, and I said, I said, you know, uh, maybe you could just start with a little brochure. Don't don't write the book first. Just write write a little short booklet. Little we'll make it a little brochure. Just hand out, you know. Just just write that something really short. And so she sat down with a pen on a legal sized pad and started writing her little brochure. And bam, yeah. As I remember, it was like two or three weeks later she had written the entire book. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not a it's not a huge book, but it. I actually like that about it because I find that sometimes spiritual books are really, they're only meant to be 150 pages, but they feel like they have to be 189, <laughs> you know? Right, so right. there's, so what I love about this book is it's, it's lean. It is lean. It is just 150 pages of pretty big type. Yeah. yeah but it's, but it's, but it's there. It's all in there. And I was just looking at this because I've had this book so many times, but I constantly give it away. And mm -hmm. so I actually was sitting down to read it again. And I was looking at the running energy, grounding and running energy. And that's something I do every day. And I learned it from this book. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I've been, I've taken many, many classes, but I learned it from this book and right. it's the same thing. So um, it's just really powerful that the things that stick with you stick with you. So mm -hmm. you and Shakti now have this crazy success. Yeah. And right. So in 77, it's a big success. But then it's in the 80s when um, it's on Oprah, right, that it has this big yeah. life. So before we jump to that, this is really when you're kind of putting in, I would imagine, a lot of the foundational work with your um, publishing company. So kind of what was that like as you were? And, and I think also because there will be people who are listening to this who are wondering, can I move into alignment with what my true purpose is? Can I do what my dream is? Can I actually have a beautiful, abundant life doing what I want to do the way I want to do it? And your life and her life are certainly an example of that. So maybe talking about what that time was of just growing this company and just being in this place of expansion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I always say to people, yes, you can do it. There's some way. And uh, I at one point I wrote, uh, you know, uh, success with ease for total idiots, because uh, uh, I can can really simplify it. Just get really clear what you want to create and deal with the doubts and fears that inevitably arise. Just And there's all kinds of ways to do that. And then just do something each, not even each day, something each week to move, keep taking steps toward it. Keep it in mind. You want to achieve this goal somehow. And if you keep at it, if you keep focused, you keep trying this and trying that, 
in it, inevitably, eventually, you'll stumble into something that works. That's my, that's <laughs> I my think thought. that's true. And I think also what people don't realize is there, for me, and I think a lot of people, your biggest enemy is, is am I allowed to do this? Yes. Am I allowed to be this way? Yes. And, and and so and and I think it's a really big question now because we have a generation of people that are growing up to a very different world than what they thought. They're, the dreams that were promised to them are mm. not the dreams that they're dreaming, you know. And so it's important to kind of encourage people by example that if you can just let go of what you think you're supposed to do and really turn inwards and ask, what do I want in five years? How do I want to see my life? And it it's funny because I ask this people this question a lot and they never want a super yacht. They mm -hmm. never want that. Mm -hmm. They never want, they always want maybe a nice house somewhere they can be safe. They want something that fulfills them. And many times when people are really honest, they want to do something that makes the world a better place in a little way. And that's where that was another lesson that I got early on from, you know, this, what this world you were creating, because I've also started working through Magical Path, which is another great book. And it's this idea that things can be easily and effortless. That was a term that I was like, this is really challenging. Mm -hmm. And that we can devote it to our highest good and the highest good of all beings. And in that way, there's no guilt in having what we want, because we're going to share it. We're going to spread it. Yes, yes. Yeah, just affirming that, that whatever you do is for the highest good of all. Uh, looking back, that, that's been a really powerful uh, thing in my life. That's really had an effect on my life. It's really helped guide me to take the right steps that really uh, do support other people. So it, it becomes far more than just something that your little ego wants for itself. Instead, no, it is something... You, everybody, I think, once they really, you just said it, once they get real honest with what they want, they want to have an impact in the world. They want to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. We all want that. Yeah. And we all have a special and unique way to do that. Yes. You know, and and the other thing, we got, a, we, got we, we sidelined from New World Library, but I'll try to remember to come back to that. But another thing that I think is a beautiful example from your life is that you can do two things. That's okay. another thing that we challenge, right? Like it, it, you're going to have that job. You're going to have it till the end of your life. You're going to marry that person. You're going to be married to them to the end of your life. You're going to live into that house that you put all your money in and you're going to live there till the end of your life. And you're only going to take vacations after you retire. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's kind of the bill of goods. And I love challenging that as well. You can be a publisher and a musician. Yep, yep. You can be a coach too. You can do all of these things. So just shout out to you, Mark, for living a very inspiring life. Um, but I do want to get back to that time period when when you were starting to gain some traction. How was that period of growth for you in like that 10 years between creative visualization coming out and Shakti going on Oprah and it kind of exploding? Uh, there were some real challenges. I mean, it was, it wasn't going, at first we just started with a bunch of friends. None of us was a publishing professional. Uh, we just had our, all our friends that were, uh, into all these different workshops. Uh, most of my the core group of friends came from 
a place when I where I met Shakti. Uh, when she was 26, I was 28. We met at a weekend workshop that was conducted in Berkeley by a man named Ken Kais Jr., who'd done a book called Handbook to Higher Consciousness. And he did these amazing, mind-blowing weekends. And Shakti and I both really liked the weekend. And uh, and we it was in the spring we took it. And we, we said we'd meet back there in the fall and join his staff. And we did. We were on the staff of that place for a year. And that's where, uh, still to this day, um, the sort of the core of my friends are all from there. And so th they really, they helped me start the publishing company. It was a, just a bunch of amateurs not knowing at all what we were doing. But we learned by doing it. And slowly the the people whose passion wasn't publishing dropped out. And I brought got in pro publishing professionals over the years. But we did, two, three years into it, we did have a major crisis. We'd had, we got creative visualization out, and suddenly we did have this book that was selling uh, amazingly. And uh, uh, in, fa in fact, bookstores would call us and say, what's with this book? People buy a book and then they come back the next day and they want five copies, six copies for their friends. You know, it just started selling word of mouth. We had no promotion, no promotion department. We we never sent out like a review copy or or did anything to promote it. We just got it in the stores through this distributor. But then the distributor collapsed and uh, they took six months collapsing. And over that time, they did not pay us at all for six months worth of sales. And then they went bankrupt. So that was a real challenge. And that was a real crisis. And looking back, of course, that crisis was one of the greatest teaching moments of my life. And How I, so? That's true of almost all of us. In crisis, you really learn so much. Mm -hmm. so, so much. And so we got through that crisis. I ended up uh, with an affirmation that got me through. The, the day I was 30, the day I turned 30, one of the things I thought of was Buckminster Fuller, and uh, someone had told me about him that he looked at his life as this experiment. And I latched onto that word experiment. And I said, one thing I'm going to experiment is with the power of affirmations. Are they really as powerful as people like Catherine Ponder, the Unity Church minister who'd written several books, said they were? So I started affirming, I am now creating you know, success with ease. And uh, I, I started carrying a list of affirmations around with me. And when I hit the financial crisis, I did uh, what I learned at that workshop that Shakti and I met at, a process called the core belief process that's in uh, Shakti's, it's actually in her creative visualization workbook. And it's in a couple of my books. I think it's in the Millionaire Course and in the magical path, I think. Uh, but it's it's called the core belief process where you just ask yourself eight questions. You get down to basically what have you been telling yourself? Uh, what is going, you know, what's your deepest belief about this problem? You start talking about what's the problem? How does it make you feel? And then what words are going on in your head about it? And I realized I was telling myself, I was a fool with money. I was out of control. And that's why I was nearly bankrupt. 
once you nail that deep core belief, or now I like, I prefer to call it underlying belief because core sounds really solid to me, but that underlying belief, you can change that belief. That was my experiment with the right affirmation or what Sark, my friend Sark, a great writer, calls a counter statement. And I came up with the affirmation once I realized I was telling myself I was a fool with money out of control. I started saying, no. And uh, Sark even added years later a great thing. She said, instead of just no, or you should say, actually. <laughs> or, so I started saying, actually, I am sensible and in control of my finances. I am creating total financial success. Right. I kept repeating that when all the anxiety came up. Well, I was 65000 in credit card debt. <laughs> and this was the early 80s. So in today's dollars, it's probably, you know, over 200. A lot. I'd, I'd used it to finance a lot of the publishing and, and, and buy a TV and a bed and stuff. And... <laughs> And uh, luxuries, how dare you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty basic things there. And uh, but once I said that, I the first time I said it, I felt great. The first time I came up with it, I'm sensible and in control of my finance. It seemed easy, and I kept repeating it. And within oh, I three or four months, we had turned the thing around and we started doing well. We, the first obvious thing was to get a better distributor who paid on time. And we, yeah. did, we found a great distributor and they even advanced us some money that we needed to keep creative visualization in print. And uh, bam, from then on with our bestseller, uh, we started doing really well. And so, so at this time, okay, so now what was that transition like? when it went on Oprah and all of a sudden, because also for, for our younger listeners out there, there was a time before the internet (laughs) (laughs) and, (laughs) and cell phones. (laughs) And, um, and in that time we used to watch TV at the time that it came on. And so if you would have missed something, you would have to kind of rely on your friends to tell you about it, or maybe you would be lucky enough to see them again. So what was that like when all of a sudden, like now she's out in the world and, 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 and by the way, you published, you published um, some really big books to New World Library. Yeah. Later you know? on. Mm-hmm. So this is this is still this this publishing house is is still growing and and learning and and expanding. What was that like for you and her? Like, what was it like to all of because I imagine you started out on KGO in San Francisco. (laughs) I imagine (laughs) you started out like locally, but then it must have gone global so fast. And that must have been like a big jump. Oh, yeah. Oprah remains a one of the greatest phenomenons ever uh, in terms of her impact in, in the publishing world. When she picks up a book and talks about it, it hits the bestseller list almost inevitably. So we just knew uh, as soon as she spent an hour on Oprah and then about, uh, I, I don't know how long later, she Oprah re-ran Shakti's show on Christmas Eve. And... Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. 
I, I was home visiting my folks and they had the TV going on in the back. Suddenly there was Shakti on Oprah. I literally was jumping up and down for joy, jumping up and down. And then I got on the phone to my marketing guy. We had a good professional marketing guy. And I said, we got to get more books in print fast, fast, fast. So. <laughs> That's so exciting. So now I, I think I've warmed you up enough. So now I want to ask some more like, kind of filling in the colors of Shakti. And I, I started at the beginning. So um, one of the things that I was really curious about is whether she had pets or liked pets. <laughs> and you were telling me, and I don't want to ruin it. So she had, you guys rescued a cat? Yes. She, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. She first, uh, we had sort of a dog or a, a friend of our, we ended up uh, finding this funky funky <laughs> apartment in oakland very very cheap and several of our friends there uh, were there and uh, one of them had a big dog and shakti loved that dog and shakti was always uh, taking the dog for walks and on one walk a little tiny kitten leapt out of a bush and attacked the dog <laughs> literally jumped on the dog's thigh attacked it and uh, and uh, and then and Shaki ended up asking all around where. So she brought a cat home, and that <laughs> cat had kittens. So we we had four cats there. But we also had when we moved into the apartment, we knew the manager, and he said he had one apartment that was so trashed because a, a Moroccan leather worker had, had <laughs> been there, covered with black dye all over. And he got evicted and uh, threw a big party and just trashed the place. Just, it was a wreck. And there was literally a pile of garbage in one corner. He said, if you guys clean it up, I'll give you no no deposit down and you could have the first month rent free for cleaning it up. We said, great, and we went in there and under the garbage was a cat. This cat. Oh no. Yeah, this big. <laughs> And with these big blue eyes that were sort of out of focus, we immediately named Spacey. And, and <laughs> first, the cat was like in total shock and completely withdrawn and, uh, you know, a basket case. But Shakti spent hours and hours and hours. <laughs> it was so sweet. She just loved it and loved it and spent all. The, and he turned into the most affectionate, sweet thing, Spacey. He was a great cat. So so yeah, we ended up with five cats and a, a neighbor dog, and yeah. <laughs> that sounds good to me. That's about right yeah. for me. Yeah. And then, um, what? Okay, so this is another kind of random question, but I think these kind of speaks to uh, speak to who people are. So it's Christmas or or holiday, and a gift exchanging holiday, and you and Shakti have gotten each other. So what kind of gifts like would you give each other? Would you like, is it a gag gift or would it be really thoughtful or would you just be like, I'll see, you know, I'll take you out to coffee. Uh, let me think. I've never liked gag gifts much. <laughs> uh, we just did something special, you know, like at the time when we met, we had no money. We had almost no money. So we would scrounge together and have like a nice dinner or something. Experience. Those are yeah. the nicest things anyway, like having a good experience together. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
And do you have like, oh, okay. Another one. This is aligned with the pets. <laughs> Did you have a favorite food or like a favorite restaurant? Did she have a place that she liked to go or a place you love to go together? Uh, she she was, vegan or gluten-free or vegetarian? Or... She ate really, really well, actually. And she cooked a lot. And uh, so did her friend Rainbow, Rainbow Canyon, and my friend Sky Canyon, who's um, uh, genius. He's one of your music partners, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sky is a, a genius musician. Just Sky um, met a person named Rainbow? Yeah, <laughs> and that yeah. just happened in the world. Well, when he met her, his name was John, but she was Rainbow. And, uh, <laughs> he made so a good choice. She's just this guy. Better so, than Cloud. That would have been a bad choice. <laughs> right. Yeah, so Sky and Rainbow with their big dog. But uh, uh, I just remember mostly cooking. Every meal would have a great big salad and some, you know, some kind of good rice and stuff. And she ate really Healthy well. Healthy food. No signature dish, like a signature pie or anything. Uh, I told you these would be weird questions. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, not that I remember. Just really good food, really most, healthy and delicious. Probably, yeah, she was mostly vegetarian and everything. Though uh, I think she'd have meat on occasion. I sure would. <laughs> Go out for a burger every once in a while. Every but, once in a while. Um, and then do you, so one thing that I, before we kind of circle around, one thing that I wanted to just really say about you and her, and was one of the things that I think is the most powerful about the work that both of you have done is you gave us our imaginations back. Mm -hmm. It was something so beautiful about this kind of work because up until then, um, imaginations had really been taking a beating, <laughs> you know, and, and really being kind of pounded out of people as not being important and not being necessary to be successful. And what this book gave, um, you know, kind of a weird hippie kid like me was this permission to explore my imagination, to use it as a superpower, to even allow myself to dream and I know that your work and her work touched so many people, but that has been profound for me to allow myself to be imaginative, to dream and to dream about a future and to allow myself to listen to my dreams and listen to the weird things that say, you should have a podcast. You've never done it before, but you should do it. But that's just me. And I know that this has inspired so many people and, and, your work in also, and the work of New World Library. So I just want to say thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And thank you for keeping Shakti's memory alive. And because this may have a light, slightly different life or be independent, I kind of want to pivot from talking about Shakti, but I did want to ask you first or last, if you had any kind of favorite memory or something that you'd want to share that maybe is kind of just something we may not know or haven't heard about her, something that you want to share about her. Well, favorite memory. Let me think. Let me think. I mean, I, I do. Uh, oh, I was so touched at the the huge celebration uh, that people threw after she passed. Uh, there might, I don't know how many people were there, 150, maybe more. And we had a big circle of chairs in a big space and we went around and 
everybody said something. It, it took quite a while. But so many people said that it was when they met Shakti that their life really changed. It just blew me away. Person after person after person said this woman, you know, with all her energy and her, uh, just the way she was, uh, she would confront people. I like that. She wasn't <laughs> this sweet little flower, you know. She was a, she, in a way, she was more masculine than I am in a, in a, in a funny way that we uh, worked together with. She was, she would confront people. her own mom. Her mom would say something. <laughs> and Jack, you'd get right in her face and say, "Mom, do you there's some? Do you feel some anger? I sense some anger under what you're saying. You look at that. What do you ang- What what's really going on? You know, she would really confront people. She wouldn't put up with any anything less than the real truth from someone. She would say, you know, I sense uh, uh, that's not quite right. Well, or uh, I mean, she was very uh, confrontational in a way. And, <laughs> well, she's uh, direct, right? And perceptive. Very yes, very direct. And sh- she would be bored with any sort of uh, just typical conversation. How's the weather? And she didn't care. At all. <laughs> she wanted to talk about consciousness growth and, and dealing with your emotions and your shadow <laughs> stuff. You know? <laughs> And it, it was twenty-four seven. It was twenty-four seven. <laughs> there were times. I mean, we were together for five years, and there were times when I'd just say, "Shakti, can, can you just? I just need a break. Can you, can you just <laughs> turn it off and like relax." <laughs> and, uh, That's so funny. She was just on a mission. She was. She so was weird. just. That's oh, so I, interesting. Okay, I have another great story. I mean, this is a whole different side of Shakti. She had been a dance major. This is the kind of thing she did. And she and, and Rainbow um, uh, were really good friends. And one day, like Sky and I were out doing something, and we came back to the apartment. We walked in, and they had taken a big sheet and hung it over one whole wall and they had gotten a projector from somewhere and were projecting all these uh, uh, (laughs) mostly like natural scenes or something. And they were dancing naked (laughs) in front of the screen with all the things projected on their bodies. They were dancing and dancing naked with this beautiful, beautiful thing. And they both had beautiful bodies. (laughs) It was beautiful art. It was incredible. Breathtaking art, you know. She would do guys, stuff like that too. <laughs> that's amazing, and you guys are just staggering in. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, was just, uh, I don't know what we were doing. Maybe we were recording some music. <laughs> yeah, that's that's beautiful, and it, it's just so. I'm not surprised that you're artists. You know, like I really do believe that artists, the way that artists translate the world for us. So it doesn't surprise me that you were a musician, that she was a dancer, that we were an actor. Like we need to have these, it's almost like they're translating the chaos in the world into something that we can, um, that's palatable for us, whether it's visually or through our ears. So, um, Mm -hmm. so important to keep, keep our artists strong. 
Yeah. I love all that. I love all that. And I, I really wanted to talk to you and I'm going to forgive me for one second. Cause I'm going to actually, we're going to pivot a little bit just to kind of talk about the new age movement. And I, I want to read something that's on the new world library um, website. And it's something that you said. <laughs> and the reason that I wanted to talk with you about this is because the new age is kind of this broad term. And I don't know, because so Carl Jung died in 62 and Alan Watts died in 72. And I kind of pick those two biggies because they were the ones that were interpreting archetypes and shadow work and kind of pulling from all of these, you know, different sources and bringing them to the West. I'm not saying they're, that's not an exhaustive list. They're just two of the kind of bigger names that um, so people might have heard of. You said in 62? Who did Carl you Jung. Carl oh, Jung. Carl Jung, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and I it's met crazy him because I always think of him as you did? Yeah, yeah. I just one night, one night I, I did uh hang out with Alan Watts a bit. He was amazing. He was he was an amazing man. I loved him. He, well, he where was that? It was where, at the, when I was at that happened. Was that in Marin or? Uh, it was in Berkeley at when I was at the Tibetan Center. In fact, he came. He, oh wow! He agreed to do a uh, a talk, and at that time he would draw. He could raise a lot of money in one night. He he drew like five hundred people, paying quite a bit for a talk he gave in San Francisco uh, that night. And I know he and uh, the Lama there, the head of the Tibetan Center. Uh, they spent all afternoon drinking wine and laughing, and and then uh, <laughs> came to dinner. And then uh, after I I walked up with him uh, with Alan Watson uh, into his talk, and uh, I remember he turned to the guy next to him and said, uh, just as he's walking on stage, right? He said, uh, "What was the title of my talk again?" Wine <laughs> 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 all afternoon with the love. And the guy said, I don't know, I, he said, you know, Tibetan Buddhism in America or something like that. And Watts said, oh, yeah, right, right, right. And then <laughs> he just sat in meditation on that stage and delivered his beautiful talks. He, he and Shakti, I must say, were two of the finest speakers I've ever heard in terms of having, being able to remember uh, I've I've noticed I, I listen to Eckhart Tolle a lot. He's my favorite, you know. And I listen to my talks. Both Eckhart and I will often go off on a tangent. It's like if you're writing something, it would be a dash, and then we go on a tangent. And both of us then just keep going and going and going. But Shakti and Alan Watts always remembered, even if it was several minutes later, where they started that tangent, and they'd go back. And complete the thought. They mm -hmm. they had amazing memories and were both just great speakers. Great speakers. So and so at ease, yeah. Such that and it is a particular kind of talent to be able to speak in front of people and to be able to be able to be extemporaneous, but also, you know, follow a through line. And yeah, that is interesting. Wow, what a cool story. So so yeah, so. So you got to see Alan Watts. And the reason I bring him up is because I feel that the sort of zeitgeist of the new age movement it kind of follows exactly you and your time in the Bay Area and San Francisco. And I'm not saying it wasn't happening all over the world, 
but there was a real big moment happening. So I told you before we started, I was born in San Francisco and I was raised in the Bay area. And so I grew up um, with this place very close to me that I loved where um, there was so much more acceptance. There was so much more, you know, a broader term of acceptance. And it's funny because I have a 13 year old son and he'll ask me, what was it like? Mm -hmm. And I say, well, in a way we were much more accepting of everything, but at the same time behind closed doors, there was a lot of stuff that we weren't talking about or acknowledging. Mm -hmm. So I think the new age movement, I just wondered if you could kind of maybe talk kind of specifically about that, which is this kind of evolution of thought and consciousness that we, that started way before, maybe that's kind of the boiling point, but where we are now. And I know it's a big question and I'm not expecting like a perfect answer, but I wanted to quote what you said on your, on your website Mm -hmm. about the new age, because you said there really, there's really nothing new in new age. It's been around for a long time. It's the perennial philosophy after all, certainly for many though, a new age is dawning. Perhaps it will prove to be a great new Renaissance possibly even an era of cooperation and global peace. I hope so. We certainly hope so. And we are publishing material that can show us how to create far better lives for ourselves. So speaking on like, are we in the Renaissance? How does it feel? Like, where do you see this movement going? Any reflections on it? Right. I I certainly think some of us are. And that was there was a great awakening in the 60s with nearly the entire generation decided to look at the world completely differently and try other things. And it was it was such an expansive time. And I remember feeling just so vividly, there's so many possibilities. And I saw my friends, some of them became gypsies traveling around. Some went back to the land and and did that whole thing. Some became very spiritual and just uh, meditated a lot or became teachers or uh, musicians or uh, it just, uh, there did did seem like this explosion of opportunities that went beyond. uh, I remember a brilliant woman said, you can't really understand one decade if you, you don't understand the previous one. The previous one, the 50s, there really was this pressure to conform to a certain way. If you were a woman and you were 25 and you weren't married yet, it was totally shocking. You couldn't be like even a single mom was a very shocking thing. Uh, People were pressured into uh, a very narrow lifestyle that then the 60s just blew that wide open. And yeah, I loved, I came from Minneapolis when I was 21 to San Francisco. And I do remember thinking uh, San Francisco was the epicenter of it. And part of it was, it made me reflect how each city has its own consciousness in a way. Minneapolis was very creative, and but there was a certain like cool cynicism that, that it was cool to be cynical somehow. And then I'd gone to New York, I did some theater there even, New York just the consciousness is all about money, money, money. And I went to LA, LA, the consciousness is looking good, being cool, be, you know, getting ready to be in the movies. And each city had this. So then I went to San Francisco. It, it really felt like the consciousness was like, don't conform to anything, be yourself, 
be an original. It really was in the air, you know, that you were sort of rewarded and appreciated for being really unique and not conforming to all the old 50s stuff. That's why I love San Francisco to this day. Same. And where do you think we are now? I mean, obviously, you know, not to get really political, but the external world, I think we're noticing that systems and structures that don't work are failing. And what happens, you know, is like, just like when anything breaks, you have to fix it or get a new one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you feel like, or or what are your reflections on that as, as part of the, the new age movement? Yeah, there is, there's a huge backlash, of course, uh, against the new age movement and they, and, uh, uh, who knows what the future will be? I'm I'm working on a book called A World That Works for All, where I I go back to the ideas of, of Buckminster Fuller, who is such a visionary, who was saying in the 60s and 70s, he said, We now have the resources and technology. And he was even he was saying this pre-internet. Now with internet, it's even magnified so much. We have the resources and technology to house and feed and heal and educate everyone on the planet. Everyone. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of we, we have all the resources, they're just not being distributed to the to the people. And uh, I really think that uh that many people are experiencing a great new renaissance, and many others are just blind just yeah mostly uh i mean eckhart calls them insane he says about 90 percent of humanity is insane yeah and so that's the challenge to uh awaken as many people as possible and uh and i think also to make it cool to do good to make that you know you know because you we always not always but like we forget that or I'll remind myself that the Buddha came to a point where he realized, how can I be happy when so many people suffer? Mm-hmm. How can I have any kind of peace or joy it, when so many others suffer? Yeah. And I think once we realize that that is the key to success, we get back to valuing that. We get back to valuing so that, you know, when when people are very wealthy, they're valued for the systems they change, that they help, you know? And I, I do think that is changing and i and i pray that it happens quickly because i do think one thing that is happening is things are moving faster because of all the structures we have so i'm i retain my hope <laughs> my hope and positivity and then one last thing i like to ask um people and i know i have kind of a phd here but do you have one practice or book or or affirmation or something that's really like your kind of favorite thing or something that you'd like to share with people that are maybe curious or don't know what to start with or something that was just really powerful for you that you'd like to share yes uh i have one practice and one book uh the book uh, i think the greatest book ever written and i really do think that's true at least at least for our generation is the power of now by Eckhart Tolle, that has become uh, a life-changing book for millions of people now, including me. And uh, as as I read it, <laughs> I told it I haven't been able to finish yet. It yet. It's been out twenty years. I've been uh, 
I read a bit and I come to a sentence, for instance, to offer no resistance to life is to be in a state of grace, ease, and lightness. And I put the book down. I said, okay, I have to reflect on that. I spent about 18 months on that phrase. And now I've I've gotten as far as the next page. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's an awesome book. Awesome book. Um, I'm, I feel so blessed to have been the one to have found it and just, you know, from its uh, publication in Canada and been able to publish it in the U S and the rest of the world. It's, it's life changing a, book. That's life changing. Yeah, life changing. Any, any practice or, or affirmation or practice? I, that I do a lot and find just so simple and easy and is in my book, the magical path. That's it. That's full of practices, but there's something I do as soon as I awaken and, and many times through the day. I, and it's such a simple thing. All it is, is imagining like as soon as I awaken, I usually step outside if it's nice. And if you can get the sun on your head, that's the best, but you don't have to have that, but you just imagine that a ball of energy at the top of your head of of healing, blissful, peaceful, warm, golden energy. And then you just breathe deeply. And as you exhale, let the energy just slowly go through every cell of your body, healing and cleansing and relaxing, releasing, letting go of all tension letting go. I, I usually do two or three of those times. And the, the second or third time, I not only let go of all tension, stress, everything, but let go of all thought as well. And you just end up being in what you could call presence. Eckhart does call presence or silence. Or the Zen teacher says Zam samadhi. And that's the simple exercise I do many, many times during the day. Just let all thought go and just relax in the moment. And that's I, beautiful. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. This has been just a pleasure and also an honor. And thank you for everything you've done and and for talking to me about Shakti. Oh. I can't wait to share this with everyone. Thank you, Jasmine, really so <laughs> much for everything you're doing. It's it's great. It's great to see Shakti live on so much uh, with so many people. Her, her books still sell, and uh, it's wonderful to see. And that's how we become immortal, as through our, the people remembering us. And so, you know, that's really how we how we have any kind of afterlife <laughs> on this planet. So th thank you very much. And hopefully we will find something to talk about again. I really appreciate you. Sure. Anytime, anytime. When I finish my next book, I'd love to talk to you about it, but I need to finish it. First. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> Here, I'm going to send you five bucks <laughs> and I'm not taking back my money until you write the book. <laughs> you feel guilty, guilty. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the RU Spiritual Podcast and joining us on this journey. Please like, subscribe, share with friends, 
and write us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have any questions, thoughts, or episode topic ideas, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to email us at areyouspiritualpodcast at gmail.com.